Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Making It EV, your podcast about EVs. Today, Jolo and I explore the state of EVs in Australia with our very special guest, Friday Schmidt. Bridie is an independent electric vehicle journalist and advocate and also an EV owner. Now, Bridie knows a lot more about EVs and the EV world than we do, and that's what we like to do here on the podcast. She has been writing about electric vehicles since 2018, which in EV years feels like it must be decades ago, and she has a keen interest in the role that zero emissions transport has to play in sustainability. So let's take a listen to our conversation with Bridie Schmidt about the state of EVs in Australia. Well, uh, today we are joined by Bridie Schmidt, independent electric vehicle journalist and advocate and also fellow EV owner. Thanks so much for joining us on Making It EV. Hey, Nina. How are you? Thanks for inviting me. Uh, Now, as we're starting, what kind of EV do you have? I own a Tesla Model Y. It's actually my second EV, I got a Tesla Model 3 after I realized it was going to be a big wait for the Tesla Model Y. Um, but then when the Tesla Model Y became available, I jumped on and ordered one because I wanted something that had a big hatch at the back and it's a little, the Model 3 is pretty cool, but it's very low to the ground and uh, yeah, I just decided to make the plunge and, and sold my 3. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, now, a couple of I guess questions to start off with. Now, you've been writing about EVs for a while. Uh, do you want to take us back to maybe when you st- first started working in the EV space and, and reporting on really what was going on with the EV revolution? Yes. I mean, look, it's going back almost, well, it'll be five years in May, really, um, that I started writing for a publication called The Driven. And it was just this whole new world. Honestly, like I wasn't a journalist at the time, let alone an electric or an automotive journalist. So it was really trial by fire. But I really, you know, believe in the um, role that, you know, batteries and electrification of everything has to play in addressing, you know, issues of climate change, that sort of thing. And, um, and I like cars, actually, like my dad, we were always like a VW family. And there's, there's, there's this photo of me helping dad fix the the combi engine back in the day when I was about two you know like leaning into the back of the (laughs) engine bay so I don't know there was actually like a bit of synchronicity but um when I started riding for the driven there were like maybe four EVs available in Australia there was BMW i3 had been out for a while there had been the IMEV and the Nissan Leaf but they'd both been pulled there was a Jaguar I-Pace and then the Hyundai Ionic Fastback was introduced at the end of 2018. So, you know, like one handful of vehicles literally, not much choice, you know, pretty high prices all around. I think the the Ionic was the first EV to come into Australia under $50,000. So that was just like, oh, my God, Wow. They didn't stay under it for very long either. So. <laughs> so so no Tesla then at this time? Oh, sorry, there was the Model S and Model X. How could I forget that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there were some fast chargers around, some superchargers. Um, but, you know, few and far between for um, electric vehicle chargers that weren't superchargers. So it was really like you had to be like a proper pioneer to go that way or just, you know, be keen to charge at home and manage your your battery 
sort of that shift in thinking about, oh, I'll just go and quickly fill up to, I'll just plug in at home every night, which is actually kind of cool when you think about it because you don't have to think about, oh, no, I've got to go to the petrol station and da, 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 da. You just plug it in. When you started writing, was Australia quite aware of what was going on or was it still very much just a brand new thing where you found yourself mostly just educating everyone on what the hell EVs are? Oh, there was definitely a lot of interest from sort of, you know, climate-minded people and, and I guess what you'd call early adopters. Um, so there are already, you know, a couple of Facebook groups around. Um, they've exploded. There's, you know, a Facebook group for every car, every electric car that's on the market. I mean, there probably is for every car. You know, they, they get quickly populated as well because people have got lots of questions and I think they just also really like to have a chat with, you know, people that own the same car as them and talk about the different idiosyncrasies and uh, questions about, you know, how it does this or how it does that. And so since, since I guess, five years ago, have you seen it change quite drastically or do you feel like we're still kind of rumbling along maybe with the new Labor government, things might explode soon. Has it sort of been around the same pace? or They're just starting to explode, actually. Um, you know, we had a government that before Labor got in that didn't didn't just get EVs. It, it outright tried to destroy, I think, Australians' faith that they might, you know, have a role to play or, or even just be a technology that could be relied on. I mean, it's actually quite insular when you look at it because there's, you know, overseas the electric vehicle transition is well underway and it's reached tipping points that there's no going back. But uh, unless you go over there, like I've got a friend who's literally just been to California and she's like, there's Teslas everywhere. I was like, yeah, that's because half of all of the Teslas in the US are in California, which is you know, because that's where Tesla's headquarters were up until uh, they moved to Texas. Um, Norway is like eight in ten cars sold now is electric. In the UK, I think it's about one in ten. And um, and we've just hit, we're just getting close to 6% car sales here are electric. So we've got a long way to go. But, yeah, we've, we've, it's a lot better than last year, which was like 2% something okay so that's like a 80 oh, I don't know my muscles Tripling. Say 80% increase. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah no it's a huge increase yeah and Bridie I was gonna ask you have some hot off the press information as well around the current state of play in Australia I'd love to hear a bit about that yeah so the latest car sale figures just came out literally this morning and I think this is really a good indicator of the shift because the Tesla Model 3 has become the third most popular car in January across all segments. And that includes utes, which we Aussies love. Um, it came third behind only the Hilux and the Ranger. So I think that says volumes. There is a caveat and that is that there's apparently like a delay of up to about two years for the Toyota RAV4 and Camry hybrids. So I think that's probably where a lot of people are going. They're either going down the full EV route or we've got still segment of people that are not sure about going full electric and they want to stay with something they're familiar with. But I really think that a lot of that comes down to the fact that there's so much misunderstanding out there still about how we use EVs and 
you know, where they're different and what their benefits are. Yeah, so the hybrids people are still dipping their toe in the water of what this electric world is like. Yeah, yeah. And I look, there's, you know, there's even a lot of confusion between what a hybrid is and what a plug-in hybrid is. And, you know, look, I have people that say to me, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy an electric car next. And then they say that they've chosen a Camry. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's got a small battery in it, but it absolutely has to run on petrol to go. And, you know, the climate crisis is it's pretty serious. And, you know, if you're able to move away from petrol altogether, my personal belief is that if you can afford it, then I think that that would be a great thing to do. And when we say afford, you know, there, there is, the, the numbers do stack up. If you're paying like a higher price for a full electric car, you, you have a lot less in terms of other costs. You know, combustion cars can have, yeah, they've, they've got like 10 times the number of parts of an electric car. Their propensity to break down is a lot higher. So, you know, you've got these like hidden costs sort of built into them, uh, whereas it happens much more rarely with an electric car. You're just looking at things like, you know, you've got to replace the tyres, you've got to keep an eye on the brake fluid. Um, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty minor. They're pretty normal. I just wanted to ask about the wait times there, Bridie, like, Two years seems pretty astronomical in terms of having to wait for a Tesla. Have you seen those wait times exacerbated more recently or what's been happening? Well, the wait times for the Teslas have never been that long. That's the wait times for the Toyotas at the moment. The wait times for the Tesla, I think at its longest, was about nine months. And that was really came down to sort of early 2022 there were still a lot of chip shortages and there were there were wait times for cars everywhere in all segments and we had a bit of a dip in car sales because of that but tesla has been pretty proactive in like cutting deals with their suppliers and you know like really working hard to um get their all, all their supply chains into gear and um, so all of our Model 3s and Model Ys come from the Shanghai factory now. So one thing that you will see with the Tesla numbers is they do tend to like ramp up production towards the end of a quarter, although they did say at the last, um, one of the last earnings calls that they're going to try and sort of change that because it puts obviously like a lot of pressure on the shipping industry you know, and, and their logistics to to make that happen. So trying to smooth out those numbers. Tell us more about these new models coming on the market. It feels like there's, I don't know if it's a bit of a tipping point, but that affordability aspect and that price point seems like it might come down a bit. I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, so one thing that is kind of missing from the Australian car market is obviously electric cars that are within that sort of um, thirty to forty thousand price mark, and also smaller electric cars. And I think that sort of comes down to the fact that SUVs and Utes are kind of the mainstay. You know, people love their big cars here, and so the other car makers, legacy car makers, tend to sort of there's no Utes here yet, and we don't have any fully confirmed on the horizon except for the LDV ute, which is a rear-wheel drive. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But, um, 
most of the car makers have tended to bring in, you know, sort of medium size to, to SUV models. You know, there's more certainty that they'll sell in the market and the larger the car, the more the profit margin, that sort of thing. But we're going to start seeing more smaller ones. So we've had the Nissan Leaf. The Nissan Leaf came back in, I think, like mid-2019. And it's kind of a very safe, and I mean safe in the meaning that it's like it's it's not this minimalist touchscreen that the Tesla is. It's got all the knobs and dials. It's very familiar. It's very friendly. Um, it You know, you put your foot on the pedal and it's just kind of, moves off gently up the road, doesn't zoom off at the lights like the Model 3 does. But it's it's like a long, large kind of hatchback. So where we normally record the podcast, just opposite, is actually the BYD showroom on William yeah. Street in Darlinghurst. Yeah. I always walk past, what is, what the hell is this car? What the hell is build your dreams? <laughs> oh, is that what it stands for? Yeah, that's what it stands oh, for. It's really funny because people, um, people buy them and then, they rip the letters off the back because they put build your dreams, the whole would, word. Oh, totally so <laughs> empathise with that. I think they're fantastic cars, but then you look at the back of them and they literally say build your dream and you're like, no, what have you done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Why do you have that? Why? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the, so BYD is a Chinese brand and that the Ado3 is its first car to market in Australia and heaps of people would not have heard of BYD but BYD have actually been bringing buses out here for ages and they make heaps of cars in China and I think they last year late last year said that they're going to stop making combustion engine vehicles altogether what we'll probably also see this year is another BYD actually two BYDs in China, they're known as the seal and the dolphin because they've got this aquatic kind of theme going on. But they'll probably rename them to bring them here. And there was like speculation it would be the Addo 2 and the Addo 4. But I think they're thinking about changing it from that because they want to expand these cars and that name globally. And the Atto means something else in another language. You know, it's like the... Um, what was it? The Pajero had <laughs> something else, didn't it? In another language. Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of jokes. Yeah, yeah where, with certain cars meaning something slightly rude in in like Spanish or what yeah, language it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't remember what it was for the Atto, but um, yeah. So the Dolphin is um, BYD's little hatchback, and when the Atto three came on the market, it's Bottom pricing was um, like around $44,000. I think they've since had to raise it a bit. Mm. Yeah, but so there was like speculation, will the Dolphin come in under $40,000? And if it did, I mean, I think there'd be a lot of people that would stop hesitating and, and you know, jump in. It, it might it might be forty or a little over 40000 I think we'll have to see because, you know, inflation and the cost of everything going up. But, yeah, I think that'll be interesting to see too. Sounds uh, like there's lots going on. And just what you mentioned there about the cost, do you think that's one of the most prohibitive things for people wanting to adopt EVs? 
I think it's a combination. It, it's like what I was saying. Um, I think I was listening to one of your earlier podcasts and you were talking about, you know, hidden line items and how if you get an EV, then you've got to get a wall charger. And and I was thinking, I think I think that's where people do get a bit worried because they're because they don't know. I mean, you don't. Yes, you can get a wall charger, but I literally just got my Sparky to put a fifteen amp power point on the outside of my garage and that means that I charge my car at about 20 kilometers an hour so if I plug that in overnight that's 200 kilometers range for a 10-hour charge and I don't drive that far each day so it's some people like say you're a nurse okay and you need to be on call you don't know when you get called out and you want to know that your car's going to get enough range back in an hour or two, then maybe a wall charger is for you, you know, that kind of thing. And also I think you could have a whole podcast about range as well because one thing I was talking with Joel about um, just before was the difference between the way car makers are actually regulated to list range when they sell the car and the actual amount of driving range you'll get out of the battery so that's like a whole you could deep dive into that totally oh that's interesting yeah yeah so there's there's what we know we call NEDC is one rating and the joke with that is that it stands for not even damn close because (laughs) it's this lab test that It's really meant to enable consumers to compare between vehicles, but if it says like 600 kilometres range, you're probably maybe going to get like 480 or 500 kilometres range. And that's the Australian legislation. In Europe, they've got one called WLTP, which is the World Light Testing Procedure, something like that. And it's a bit more accurate. Um, And if you actually, if you go to the Tesla website now, they give you a choice to see the WLTP range as well, but it's still higher than your actual range. You can, you can in some vehicles, I know people have done it in like in the Hyundai Kona, and I think I could probably do it in my car. If you're in stop-start traffic all the time, you can probably achieve that range figure because EVs can recuperate the energy when braking instead of just losing it through heat and Um, So if you're not using very much power because you're not going very fast and you're stopping and starting, then you can sort of maybe achieve that range if you're doing that for like the entire single charge of the battery. Um, But then real world range is sort of something else we talk about and that's like, you know, what you're most likely to get. So like my Model Y, have a a quick look now because I can't remember. When I charge the battery up, it says it's got about 430 kilometres of range. It probably realistically gets about 380 to 400. So this is fascinating. So if I'm hearing this right, the manufacturers are claiming a bit more than reality. But they're not claiming it, okay? It's legislation. They have to say this, right? And that's why, you know, you see the other automotive news sites sort of go, oh, claimed range. It's like it's, it's it's not that they're making it up it's just that that's the legislation and Australia needs to get rid of NEDC like we're so behind the times and there's another range rating so I just I've just pulled the page up and my model y on the Tesla website says it'll get 455 kilometers WLTP range 
So when I'm in the car, it says about 4.30, but then depending on where I'm driving and how fast I'm going and all that stuff, I'm going to get less. And if it's raining and windy, that sort of thing. But um, in the in the US, um, their EPA, their Environmental Protection Authority, has its own rating again, and it's probably considered the closest to um, real world range. And that's where I always go if I want to sort of like have a look at what the EPA says about the range on cars because it's a little bit more accurate. Maybe our own EP have to get involved then. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> And so I guess, I mean, to finish off, you know, is, is there any movement from, from the government in regards to, you know, helping people adopt EVs, uh, whether it's state, whether it's federal? Do you have a bit of a, an idea of what's happening at the moment or what is planned to happen? Yeah, and I look, I think this is a big reason why sales are now really ticking up because we've had um, quite a few states come on board with $3,000 rebates and there's states that have either reductions or total waivers on registration. So in the ACT, it, I think it's two years free registration. And at a federal level now, um, there's been some extra incentives brought in and that includes um, removing the fringe benefits tax and also and I think what I think what that did, like I'm actually not the expert on this because I don't really get salary sacrificing and novated leasing and all of this stuff, but I can tell you people that do. But if you're salary sacrificing to buy a car, right? So that's obviously that's pre-tax dollars. So that's reducing your tax bill. And then there's no fringe benefits tax. If that's part of that picture, I'm not sure. But there's, there's a saving of like $6,000 or something if you're able to buy an EV that way. And the, the numbers do stack up, but I'm not the person to ask about them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's there's lots of things out there that are now actually. And the really good thing is that, you know, if um, if we can get more EVs on fleets, you know, fleet turnover is like every three to four years. That means more secondhand cars for people. Yeah, there's a whole world out there. Yeah, it's definitely becoming a lot more accepted in a way to buy one as well. It doesn't feel as crazy fringe to do that. Or, I mean, at least that's what the sense I'm getting. But do you feel differently? Do you still feel like people have a bit of a, a suspicious feeling if someone's gone electric? Do I think they're like a hippie environmentalist? <laughs> I guess I live in the Northern Rivers and apparently we're all that. So yeah. um, <laughs> okay, fair enough. It's, it's, it's not too bad. But, um, you know, like I have run across people in, in the city, you know, had some woman bail me up in a car park and go, oh, you know, they cost more to service. I was like, no, they don't. Who told you that? <laughs> Um, yeah look I think there's there's still a lot of hesitation I think one thing that'll be really interesting to see is you know I think there's a lot of hesitation people that really love their utes you know like my um the guy that comes around and mows our lawn because I don't have an electric mower but I really want to get one um he looked at my car and he's like oh yeah but I wouldn't buy one until it can tow three and a half ton and I'm like I looked at his trailer and his ride on mower I'm like so how much is your ride on mower way I'm thinking it's got to be less than a ton he's like oh yeah no nah, but I, I just it has to it has to tow three and a half ton and I'm like okay <laughs> I'm not gonna argue the point with this guy that's fine but I think that 
especially once like our um, sparkies realize how cool having a ute that's got a massive battery in it or, or even other tradies that they can charge their tools off when they're at the work site. They don't have to take a jenny. It's not going to stink. It's not going to, you know, make massive noise all day. I think that once we start seeing that sort of section of people kind of understanding what the benefits are of electric vehicles and once we get more EV ute options here because the old EV is interesting but I think it's just going to be one you know particular section of ute people that it will attract so yeah we'll wait and see. So we have to get the trade revolution going then. Yeah definitely. <laughs> Awesome. I think uh, that's it for this episode. Um, Bridie, thank you so much for joining us on Making It EV. And yeah, we're all looking forward to how this year will pan out with EV adoption. Fantastic. My pleasure. And that was our conversation with Bridie Schmidt, who is an independent electric vehicle journalist and advocate, as well as EV owner. Don't forget to subscribe to Making It EV wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with someone who will find it interesting. This podcast is recorded at Forbes Street Studios. Thank you so much to the team there who keep our recording ship shape. You can find out more about us on our website, makingitev.com and follow us on Instagram, making underscore it underscore EV. Thanks everyone. And until next time, happy driving. Happy driving.